This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Premiership coach Craig McRae today delivered a 90-minute presentation at the commission meeting held at Collingwood, insisting on a stronger work-life balance across the AFL. He says a key to last year's flag. Mitch Cleary on Channel 7 last night. It is one of the privileges of the Premiership coach to get the audience with the commission and plenty have used it to great effect over recent years. The Chief Executive of the AFL Coaches Association is Alistair Nicholson. Alistair, great to have you back on the program. Oh, good day, Jared. What, what do you know around what Craig presented for not only himself and his own club, but for the coaching industry more broadly to the commission? Oh, well, I think firstly, as you say, it's, uh, it's actually a really important thing to, to get that face-to-face crossover. And, and so uh, it's very good of the commission for giving the time. There's obviously a couple of new commissioners there with lots of football experience in Andrew Ireland and... Matt DeBoer. Um, so, you know, it's something that the senior coaches that go into that take seriously. Um, and in regard to, to Craig, I think Craig's had such uh, an interesting coaching career. I think people probably see the last sort of 18 months and see the success and everything like that. But the reality is he was an assistant and development coach for, for 17 years before that. So he's as qualified as anyone to come and and talk candidly about what he thinks around the profession and, and how we can get better. In the work that you've been doing, Alistair, across a few years now behind the scenes, is what do you think the current state of the work-life balance is? So I think it's an area where it's, it's starting to... It, it, very much in COVID, it was really thrown around. I think there was always that intensity about the role, but COVID and the soft cap changes was significant for football programs but coaches and so what we find is coach mental health is is still somewhat of a a challenge and and something which I know the senior coaches and also I think that the AFL are are very focused on going forward but just how um, the coach is able to get the work-life balance in regard to the remuneration and, and the demanding sort of weekend hours and things so Getting some better balance across all those things is something that's, that's really important, from remuneration to work-life balance to then even preparing for life after coaching. So some of those issues will belong to individuals, some to clubs and then some to the league. What, what might the AFL do to lend a hand in this? So I think it's hard not to, to look at what goes into the soft cap and obviously then you're dealing with things like remuneration levels and, and uh, things like that. I think from a club point of view, that's very much around leave. And then from a coaches association point of view, there's things like professional development as you, as you go through the, the career and, and then also transition. And then probably from an AFL point of view, it's almost sort of pathways in preparation into it, which is probably more underneath who our membership is, but 
but how you, you come up into the, the, the coaching game. Did you think the slight increase in the um, the soft cap spend and the capacity to take some money out of that for the senior coach on a promotional front, uh, were, were those positive, adequate steps or the start of a process you'd like to see continue? Yeah, I think it's the latter. Um, I think what that has offered is a little bit of flex- flexibility for clubs, but it's also some signs that you know the AFL has now got their player deal better down, the media deal is done, um, and we're very much through COVID. So for me, it showed some signs that they're looking at, okay, well, how do they address the football program spend? And some of that flexibility that started is is really important um, and because you do have people working at high levels in a high-pressure environment and whether it's you want to retain people like obviously Craig and, and the Collingwood group are keen to do, if, if you've got the ability to do that and a little bit more flexibility, that probably hasn't been what has been the case in the past with the soft cap being quite a punitive sort of measure on, on clubs and football department spend. So I think that's something that we need to continue to, to keep talking about with the AFL and, and getting feedback from coaches around you know wh- where we think the important areas are. And that might be professional development, might be transition out, might be mental health support or whatever that is. The professional development, some of what we're seeing for a few years now, and I know McRae is very much front of mind here. He spent time at Harvard University, and there's been a handful of coaches who have been doing that in recent times. How, how valuable... Is that proving, do you think, um, for our coaches to be able to do? I think it's absolutely critical, and, it, and it's critical for, for two reasons. One, because it potentially makes them better at their job right now, but then two, it also then helps them for when the inevitable comes and the coaching career ends, and that may allow them to, to move into another role within football, such as a Don Pike or a Leon Cameron or someone like that who's made sort of moves into those senior leadership positions or then be able to transition out into, into something else. And I think what I'm find, what we find with PD is it's, it's from our point of view, we give an amount to senior coaches and an amount to assistant development coaches that has been static over time. And I think there's opportunities for not just senior coaches, but particularly that next level of the next level of coaches that are going to step up to be senior coaches. So Craig McRae's just been to Harvard, um, but it's, okay, well, what's, who's the next senior coach? Can we get that person to Harvard so that when they step into the role, they've done as much PD a, a, as they can and they're as prepared as possible? So I think there's a real opportunity for that sort of next tier to be able to to move more into and do more PD so that when they do get in the, the seat, the hot seat as the senior coaches, they're as prepared as they can be. So uh, McRae's been just so open here. He speaks with uh, Andy and Gazy every couple of weeks during a footy season and explores not just what's happening on, on the field but behind. One of his mantras, as you point out, the pathway that he's been through over such a long time is to ensure that his staff do take time off during a week, almost regimented. So he's getting, he's not quite as good at it himself, but he insists that uh, those who are working with and for him do so. So that, uh, it's such a fascinating 
tension piece, I reckon, for what the senior coach may not be able to do for himself, but what the possibilities, Alistair, are for doing uh, for your for your colleagues and for those under you. Absolutely, and I think there's there's two big issues there, and I think that you know the first one is I, I do think that senior coaches are, are as conscious of, as ever of their their team underneath them, um, just because it's so intertwined these days. Senior coach is so reliant on their coaching group to be able to do what they do. And, and that's maybe not understood as much, you know, a lot of the media focus just on the senior coach in pictures and articles and things, but the reality is that team behind them is critical. Um, and then also it's, it's just really important um, that just to be able to, to have that good relationship and, and, and keep coaches because I think some senior coaches if um, they've got a good relationship with a, a development or, a, or an assistant coach, they don't necessarily want that person moving off to another opportunity um, because they're sort of burning out or they feel like they need a, need a change. So it makes, it, it makes sense. And, I'm, you know, I think Craig is uh, probably in front of the curve in regard to that. The success he's had, I think, is positive um, for the broader coaching industry, albeit it is... Um, it is a it is a tough tough gig that's not getting any easier with equalisation and obviously the volatility around contracts. The for a period of time, so I'm probably talking half a dozen years ago, the AFL it felt like the AFL blamed coaches for a lot of what was going on with the game. What, how would you depict the relationship right now between the, the senior coaches and the and league headquarters? Look, we had a uh, have a, a statistic that we or a survey that we do, and and we ask how the coaching groups, and not just the senior coaches, the whole coaching group, feel about uh, whether they're well regarded for the AFL uh, by the AFL, and that's something that's um, significantly lower than it was pre-COVID. Um, with Andrew Dillon coming into the role, that's something that we've sat down and and talked at length about. So. Look, I think my answer to that is there's there's still some real frustration within the coaching group, you know, predominantly from soft cap change and, and, and certain things like that. But there is sort of an appetite to um, of obviously Andrew coming in to to really understand that and then, you know, look to progress that. And I think Craig presenting to the commission yesterday and, and taking a fair amount of time and no doubt giving some really personal anecdotes um, is good for building that picture and building that relationship. And then obviously as a coach association, we've got an important role to, to work in the middle of all that as well. Yeah. I just finally, Alistair, is reading um, the uh, Glenn McFarlane's piece on Sam Mitchell and the harrowing tales that he mm. went through in New York. Is, were you active during that period of time? Did, did you keep a, a watching brief on, on what Sam was going through? Well, probably more towards the end, and I think everyone, you know, reading that article, the de- the, uh, the depth of or, or what's been gone through was considerable. Um, I, I think with Sam, whenever I think of Sam, I think about just how tough he is, you know, as a player and and as a person, and so um, it's such a, a significant thing. So. Look, you know, I spoke to him the other day and, you know, he's raring to go again. Um, I think the Hawthorne were very good with that balance back and, 
you know, Sam's come back and felt like his coaches, and he's got some experienced coaches underneath him that have done a really good job while he's away. So certainly not what you, you'd like to happen, but, um, you know, I think Hawthorne and, and how they've sort of responded and, you know, work with Sam, is, he's been positive about that. So, um, yeah, certainly for someone that uh, was very tough in their football days, a, a very scary thing. Yeah, it was every bit of that. Alistair, thanks for your time this morning. I really appreciate it. Fantastic. Thanks, Jordan.